0: My name is Greg Poole, one of the pastors here at Oak Mountain, and again, it's my privilege to welcome you to worship this morning. Uh, Bob's a little under the weather this weekend, and so I am stepping in. We've been in a series in 1 Samuel. We're going to deviate from that today, and I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians, and we'll be looking into that letter from Paul this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. Jesus loves me, this I know. Simple truth, so simple that it's typically one of the first songs, first things we teach our children. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that yet though this is incredibly simple, it's also one of the most profound truths we could ever grab hold of. So this morning, I want us to look to Jesus, to see Jesus, to see the depth and the immensity, the enormity, the amazing nature of his love for us, so that we're actually blinded by the beauty and the glory of his love. Let's look together at Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 14 through 19. If you're able, please stand and join me as we read God's word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is God's word. Let's again look to him in prayer. Father, We ask now that you would speak to us through your word, that you would show us the beauty and glory of Jesus and his love for us. And that as we behold Jesus, as we contemplate his amazing, glorious, incomprehensible love, that God, we would be changed that our hearts would be set free, that we would be given hope and gladness and fullness of life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So when it is a bright and sunny day, not like today, one of the first things you do when you get in the car as a driver is you put your sunglasses on, right? Because the sun is shining, and if particularly on one of those days when it's low in the horizon, morning or evening, you know that the glare of the sun will prevent you from seeing And In fact, if you stare into it long enough without sunglasses on, suddenly your vision is altered. It's changed. You've been partially blinded by the sun. And suddenly all these dots are floating around. You just can't see. As we look to Jesus and his love, there's a sense in which we will be blinded. His love is so beautiful, so glorious, so bright, that as we gaze upon the beauty of Jesus and his glorious love, we will be blinded. But it's blinded in a good way. It's blinded so that the way we see the world, ourselves, and God himself is changed. My desire this morning is that we would look to Jesus And our sight would be changed. And that as our sight is changed, those whispers in our mind, those voices in our head that say you're not good enough. You've messed up one too many times. He's not going to care for you anymore. You're going to be cast out. The guilt is too great. You don't matter. That those will be vanquished. And that today you could find rest and gladness and hope for your soul in the glorious love of Jesus. In this passage that Paul gives us here in Ephesians 3, he's praying for the people of God. And he's praying one of the most important things we could know is that we would know the love of Jesus. And yet it's interesting. He says, I want you to know the love of Jesus so it's simple. We can know it. But he says it surpasses knowledge. You can't know it. What? He said, here's this simple love of Jesus I want you to know. I want you to know the length of it. I want you to know the breadth of it. I want you to know the height of it. I want you to know the depth of it because it goes on for infinity. You will spend the rest of your existence discovering the glorious love of Jesus. And when you do so, you will be filled with the fullness of God. You'll be like him. Paul doesn't, in this passage, give us particular glimpses of the love of God, but he does so in the rest of this book. And so we're going to be looking at four different truths about Jesus and his love as Paul gives us pictures of various facets of Jesus' love throughout the book of Ephesians. The first one we're going to look at is that Christ's love for you is eternal. His love is eternal. Look in chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Paul writes, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He points to the love of Jesus in choosing us to be his children. He says it's in love he chose us. But when did this love act? When did this love come into being? Before the foundation of the world. Before the world came into being. When there was just God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who've always existed. They set their love on you. It's an eternal love. Now, I mean, let's just step back for a minute and think about how difficult that is to grasp. There was never a time God did not exist. Never. I mean, we can't get our arms around that because everything we know and experience had a beginning, you had a beginning. Your children had a beginning. Everything you possess, this Bible, had a beginning. Everything had a beginning. How could there be something that has always existed? But there is. God has always been. Now let me just step back and say, some of you might be skeptics. You're not too sure about this, God. Well, if God has not always existed, what did? I mean, in very simplistic terms, many secular scientists will say the Big Bang Theory explains it. You know, there was this incredibly dense piece of material that exploded and all of the universe came into being from it. Well, where did that come from? Something had to always exist. It was either the stuff or it was God. God has always existed. And what Paul is saying in this passage that the love by which Jesus chose us has always been there from before time began. It is eternal. Why is that important? Because you and I often doubt the love of God. Let me ask you a personal question. What did you do this week? What did you think? What did you long for? What did you desire that you think about now and you go, man, I really don't want the people in this room to know that. As you look back over your life, what are the things you've done, you've thought, you've desired, and you think, if the people in this room knew that, I'd knock those doors down getting out of here. How could God love me? How can I know it's true? What if it leaves me? God's love is eternal. But it's not only that his love is eternal. His knowledge is eternal. Whatever that thing is that you've thought. Whatever that thing is that you've done. Whatever that thing is you've longed for. He's known that forever as well. There was never a time he didn't know that about you. And yet... He still loves you. Never a time God did not love you. He's always loved you. He loves you today. He loves you tomorrow. In Hebrews 13 we read that Jesus is the same when? In the past, in the present, in the future. His love can't change. You're not big enough to change His love. Your actions aren't evil enough. They're not wicked enough. They're not shameful enough to change His love. It is eternal. It is secure. If we can wrap our minds around that, what will that do for us? The freedom it will give us. The joy it will give us. The ability to step out of the shadows. His love is eternal. It's unchanging. It can never be altered. Not only is his love eternal, his love is effective. It accomplishes its purpose. His love is effective. It accomplishes his purpose. Look in Hebrews 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Paul's using the picture of, uh, of marriage, of a husband and wife relationship, to help us think about the way Jesus loves us. Jesus wants to do two things. Like any husband, He wants to win the heart of His bride. He wants to win your heart. He wants your affections to be fixed and set on Him. And then He wants to make you beautiful. Every single one of us, because of the presence of sin in this world, though we bear the image of God, it is deformed, it's broken, it's shattered. What's his goal? To present us in splendor. No spot. No wrinkle. No blemishes. Beauty. Jesus wants to present you beautiful and to stir within you a love for himself. He will accomplish that. Back in chapter 1 we have a promise that that will happen verse 13 in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory what's our inheritance that our hearts would belong to Jesus and we would look like him that the beauty would be restored. Jesus' love for us is the only thing that will ultimately change us. Brian Chapel, in his book Holiness by Grace says, "...the love of God to us and our love to Him work together for producing holiness. Terror accomplishes no real obedience. Suspense brings forth no fruit unto holiness. No gloomy uncertainty as to God's favor can subdue one lust or correct our crookedness of will. But the free pardon of the cross uproots sin and withers all its branches. Only the certainty of love, forgiving love, can do this. Where does change come from? It comes from staring at Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says that as we gaze upon Christ we will be changed from glory unto glory. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and allow the enormity of his love to fill our souls so that our affections are changed and we love him as a bride loves her husband. And We need to fix our eyes on him so that his love pours into us and he makes us Beautiful. That's our only hope of change. If you struggle with sin, if there is sin that clings to your soul, that corrupts you, that you think you can't undo, the way to change is not by coming up with new methods, by coming up with new strategies. They might be of some help, but ultimately, the only way is to gaze. And stare at the sun until you are blinded by his amazing, glorious, unfathomable love. You're not beyond help. Your sin's not too great. Your brokenness isn't permanent. The disfigurements won't last forever. He is committed. To remaking you in his image. His love is effective. His love's eternal. His love's effective. His love is free. Christ's love for you is absolutely free. It's not brought forth. It's not elicited, elicited by any good in us. There's nothing you do to make him love you. And in second, in, in, in chapter two. Beginning in first 1, we read, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind that were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying we were spiritually dead as children of the flesh there was nothing we could do to impress God, to win God's love, to cause Him to want anything in us. There's nothing we could do. So what's the answer? And we go on to read in verse 4 the greatest two words in the Bible. But God. But God. But God being rich in mercy. Why is he rich in mercy? Because of the great love with which he loved us. He's rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So why did he love us? We just read, it's not because of anything we've done. In Deuteronomy 7, the people of God are wondering the same thing. God, why did you choose us? Why did you love us? And here's God's answer. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. There's nothing you did as the people of God to impress me, to make me want you. You were just this measly little group. But it's because the Lord loves you. Why'd God love them? Because he loves you. Why'd God love you? Because he loves you. Why does God love you? Because it just keeps... That's the only answer. There's nothing you can do. His love is absolutely free. I'm reminded of the story of a pastor I knew quite a few years ago. And he tells his life story. And this is his life story. He was born to an unwed mother. At two years old, he saw... A man, not his father, whom his mother lived with, shoot her. He entered the foster care system. For the next ten years, he lived in eight different homes. He went by four different names. He finally reached the point where he was so uncontrollable and so unruly that... The people at had him said, this child must be institutionalized. They put him in an orphanage. As you can imagine, he would experienced incredible trauma. And so at 10 years old, he was still a bedwetter. And the people at the orphanage each morning would get him with urine-soaked sheets, parade him through the house, having the other children mock him. One day, an older couple was seeking to adopt, and the orphanage said, You're too old to adopt an infant. But we've got some older children. Take a look at these pictures and see if any of them would be of interest. And so they put their finger and they said, We we might like to meet this boy. We'd like to meet Bobby. And so they set up a time to come and meet Bobby. And the folks at the orphanage got Bobby and they said, Bobby, there's a family coming interested in adopting. They want to meet you. You need to be on your best behavior. Oh, great. Because what's he want more than anything? He wants to be loved. And so they show up and he's thinking, I, I've, I've got to do everything I can to make them love me. And they said, Bobby, do you like bowling? We were thinking we'd go spend an afternoon bowling. Bobby's never been bowling in his life. But he said, of course I do. And he gets there. I've got to make them love me. I've got to make them love me. It's gutter ball, gutter ball, gutter ball. And he's thinking, God, what a failure. I can't even roll a ball down there and knock the pins down. Bobby, would you like to go to dinner? Sure, I'd love to go to dinner. I said, well, do you like Chinese? Oh, I love Chinese. He's never eaten Chinese in his life. And he gets there, and they pull out the chopsticks, so he thinks, well, I need to use those too. And immediately, he spills a bowl of noodles in the woman's lap. And yet they adopt him. It was free. And here's the thing. All our lives, we've rolled gutter ball after gutter ball. All our lives, we've dumped plates of noodles in God's lap. And yet, what's he do? He keeps freely loving us. It's absolutely free. We need to believe that. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He's loved you from eternity. He's picked you out in spite of all that you've done. And he says, you're mine. I love you you see what freedom and hope that will give? What does that do to your shame? What does that do to the guilt you carry around? It shatters it. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. His love just is. It's absolutely free. And then finally, Christ's love is un reserved. He held nothing back. It was costly. Listen to these words. Ephesians seven: In him we have redemption through his blood. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 5.2 Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And again, 525. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He held nothing back. His love had no reserve. It was Complete and total. Jesus saw us in our brokenness. He saw us in our sin. He said, I'm willing for my blood to flow. I'm willing for my life to be extinguished. I hold nothing back. His love was costly. How much did he love us? He gave it all. I think one of the best pictures of Jesus' love is captured in John Milton's Paradise Lost, one of the most beautiful uh, passages in literature. And the scene is Adam and Eve have fallen. They've been cast out of the garden, and God is speaking to all the hosts of heaven. And he says, death is on its way. That's all they're going to get but I'm committed to grace. I want to give them life. I want them with me. But there's a dilemma. There was sin. It demands punishment. How will we solve the dilemma? And so he speaks to the host of heaven, and this is what he says. Say, heavenly powers, where shall we find such love? Which of you will be mortal to redeem man's mortal crime and the unjust to, and the just to save the unjust? He said, Who's going who's to do this? Who's going to step forward? And he asked another question dwells in all heaven, charity so dear? Is there that type of love here in heaven? And this was the response. And silence was in heaven. On man's behalf, he asked, but all the heavenly choir stood mute, patron or intercessor, none appeared. And now without redemption, all mankind must have been lost, adjudged to death and hell by doom severe, had not the Son of God, in whom the fullness dwells of love divine, his dearest mediation thus renewed. Father, thy word is past. Man shall find grace. Behold me then, me for him, Life for life I offer. On me let thine anger fall. Account me, man. I, for his sake, will leave thy bosom. And this glory next to thee freely put off. And for him, lastly, die well pleased. On me let death wreak all his rage. Is there anything more glorious And then Jesus, stepping forward and saying, Father, I will give it all. He did it for you because he loved you. He held nothing back. So what are the doubts in your mind? What are the whispers and the echoes that say you're not worth it? Jesus would say to the contrary it was worth everything I had to give. I hold nothing back. We need to gaze upon Jesus, to see the enormity, the glory, the beauty of his love. The love that flows out of eternity which can never change. And when we believe that, it provides a security by which we can do anything. We need to believe we're not past help. He is committed to making us beautiful and to winning our hearts. There's nothing you can do. It's absolutely free. And it costs him everything. We're coming to the table this morning where we see Jesus' love so beautifully laid out for us. table we are reminded it's pictured for us the eternal love which cost them everything this morning if you believe in Jesus if you meet the one qualification I'm a sinner and I need help and I want Jesus then you're welcome to come to this table Come, eat and drink. Allow him to pour his life into you. To begin, even through this, to change you and to make you beautiful. Come to the table. On the evening in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body. It was given for you. And after they had eaten, He took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sin. Drink from it. For as often as you drink this cup, you show forth my death till I come again. Here at Oak Mountain, we take communion together. We'll distribute the elements. Just take the two cups, twist apart, and one contains the bread, the other... uh, the the juice, um, hold it until the end. Let me pray and then invite the elders to come forward to distribute the elements. Father, we ask now that you would come and meet us. God, enable us by faith to look to Jesus, the one who loves us. Holy Spirit, come and make these simple elements of a little piece of tasteless bread, a little bit of juice be spiritual food for our souls. That it would stir us to love you more. That you would win our hearts. And that your love would empower us to actually look a little more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.